Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, and welcome to another episode of uh, Real Life Rescues. I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovi Mizell. And today we're going to talk about uh, some of the unsung heroes of EMS. And when I say unsung heroes, I don't mean the people who, who go out on calls at 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, don't get any, any praise for it. I mean, the people who don't go out on calls at all and don't get any praise for it. And these being the spouses and the families of providers. Um, because truth is, they make a significant sacrifice uh, when their loved ones... Um, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, brothers, etc., sisters, uh, and anyone in between, uh, go out to a call and you know leave the family in the midst. Especially for us who are volunteers, we don't do shifts here, um, so you end up with leaving the family high and dry. Sometimes uh, I know last night I went out to a call in the middle of bath time. Uh, my wife sort of gave me that look, like, <laughs> "Refile." We got to take it back a notch. Wow. Take it back several notches. But I have to introduce the <laughs> well, episode, too. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, I think um, we got to, um, you know, call out to all of you guys and girls and EMS and know what it's like to, uh, um, beyond your shifts, always get that extra, you know, um, extra hours or special events or mass casualty incident that you're called in and have to drop everything and go. But uh, and, and in all respect, it happens all the time to all of us. But here, we're going to be focusing in a little more about the very uniqueness of United Hatzalah, which is community-based emergency responders. And these, and, and we're talking about the 6,200 volunteers that are not on shifts, per se. Um, they're on call 24-7, responding in their community. And that call will always, but always, come in at the worst time well at least in the spouse's opinion <laughs> <laughs> always the worst time because there's no good time um you can imagine it as being uh for those of you who are, who are working on shifts uh you always get that call one minute before your shift's over and dispatch you feel like dispatcher hates you that's a good rationale yeah <laughs> and and you just got to stay a little bit longer or like what w was saying if you have mass casualty incidents or or major uh you know uh, large building fire you have to respond to uh, whatever the case may be. You'll go way over the hours of your shift. You go way into overtime and sometimes do a second sh full shift. Uh, and you are completely unexpected. And then you know, your significant other has to has to pick up the pieces of life because life goes on. I mean, let's look, let's talk about routine of life, uh, especially for a UH volunteer, which is, you know, you can be going about your day. Wait, we have a routine? Um, <laughs> well, really our routine, routine is being... Non-routine, right. I guess. There's, there's yeah. no routine here. <laughs> we keep it interesting. But yeah, you go about your day. You could be at work. You could be at home after hours, weekend with the family, on a, on a, on a family trip um, in, in, in a natural reserve. And Rafael, we have our famous uh, um, parallel stories of the same campsite a yep. few years apart. Um, so yeah, it really is about living the mission. It really is about living the mission. And, and we always, when we talk about retention of our volunteers... 
we emphasize and invest an enormous amount of resources into the camaraderie, the team building. And this also includes not only the volunteers themselves as a team, but also um, the uh, the second circle, and that's the families. Because without the family support um, or the spouse's support, it, it simply will will not be able to to hold out for, for a long time because the calls always come in at the worst time. The calls it will always take longer than you expect. And, 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 and it'll always affect our our family life, our social life, our community life, and 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 everything else. So it really is part of. A, so we emphasize on investing a lot in in getting the families involved in this as well, because not everyone marries into EMS. Yes, we are all aware of the of the uh, families that are created within EMS. Um, I mean, I myself personally. That's right. I'm a victim of uh, <laughs> of, uh, of domestic marriage um, in, in in EMS. Uh, I mean, going back actually, I just celebrated my. I was uh, gonna say you just you just celebrate anniversary. Yeah, last my, week. my blackjack, my blackjack anniversary. Twenty one years of uh, happily married, and and I met my wife when she was uh, a, a younger volunteer in EMS and and doing her service in the emergency room of the hospital. And I walk in and I say, "Hey, who dad?" And, and <laughs> what did she say? She said, "No, don't even think of it." But um, I was I was persistent, consistent. What's the word or file? Persistent, both persistent. Both are good. But I got her to go out on a date with me nine months later. It took a lot of flowers, a lot of chocolate, and of course, a general ban of all Jerusalem EMS services to anyone. Nobody can get close to this girl. So actually, <laughs> she she dated me just to throw me out afterwards to get to get the ban released. But I, I guess twenty three years later, who put the ban on you or her? I put the ban on all my <laughs> colleagues in EMS, all the EMTs, paramedics, ambulance drivers, you name it. Nobody can get close to this girl, right. <laughs> or else. Yeah, you so, know, it's, it's like that rule, right. you know, between guys. Uh, you know, you never date the ex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so here it was before. It was but, the pre. It was the yeah, prequel. It was exactly. Prequel band. Um, and, 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 and actually, when, when we did get serious and, and before we got married, I told my wife, there are two things you will never veto for me. And she's like, what are those? And I'm like, number one is my cigarettes. And number two is the radio noise and the calls and the crazy hours and, and life of EMS. So years later, I dropped the cigarettes on my own, but... But um, I can't say the same for EMS and the radio and the white noise in the house of, of, of calls going off. Um, that's something that, that uh, not only uh, is something very present, and I can share a lot of my own experience of, of what it's like raising kids. And I got kids, thank God, I've got a 19-year-old girl, which is now doing her service in an emergency room. FYI, I warned her to beware of those ambulance drivers. Right, I should. <laughs> but also a bunch you, you of You put another ban on? <laughs> No, 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 it comes no. full circle. No, like, can't do that. Not in our day and age. <laughs> um, but but growing, raising a family in this environment, I think also goes back to giving the kids uh, a lot of values, a lot of different values. And you know what they say: if you can't beat them, join, join them. them. And I understand that's exactly what your wife did. That yes. you said you can't nix the radio chatter and calls, so she ended up becoming a first responder herself. Yeah, five years ago, she um, recertified as a as, as an EMT and has been a volunteer since. And my teenager son, 
my 15 year old uh, just completed his first aid training and is starting to volunteer on the on the local ambulance as well so i guess uh i i i tried to wish them a better life but <laughs> i guess they chose their values Everyone likes to make their own mistakes, and and sometimes that mistakes transfers from generation to generation. Yeah, but I'm actually very proud of it. I think I think that that um, once we get the families involved, we get the that support from um, that second circle or the first circle, actually, which is the really important one, and that's family. Um, and, and they get involved and engaged and support. Um, not only are we able to do our mission much better. But I think it also instills values, especially the next generation. When we're talking about kids, teenagers, and and the challenges we have today with them, with TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff, if we can get these values of of, of love your neighbor, of helping people, of uh, giving up from yourself, even at the worst of times, um, in order to help other people, I think um, in our day and age, those values, it goes a long way. And I think that I can only be proud of, uh, of, of what's going on in my own family. And I try to share and, and, and put this in to the camaraderie and the events that we do for the volunteers and their families to really uh, appreciate, appreciate that support of the families because they will not be able to do their mission um, they will not be able to go out on calls without the support from the families. And we've been thankfully very, very, very successful with this. Right. Now you brought up uh, how we how the organization comes out. And I guess in, in to translate this into terms, it could be like your service provider uh, goes an extra mile to try and support the families uh, of first responders. Uh, and one of the ways we do that is we have uh, every six to eight weeks each, we have, we have around the country, we have 95 different uh, regional chapters and every six to eight weeks, we're supposed to have a meetup for the first responders, either retraining, uh, you know, educational sessions, some sort of social exercise. Um, and at least twice a year, we're supposed to do that. Each chapter is, is responsible to uh, have a family event for the family members, the spouses, the children. They can, uh, you know, uh, hire or rent a, 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 like one of these country clubs or a pool or something like that and do all kinds of activities for barbecues and, 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 and get everyone involved so that the spouses, uh, the better half, as I say, our better halves, um, get together. So first of all, they can complain together. Yes. <laughs> they can share, share complaints um, but, but and that's just, that's a form of therapy. They're talking it out. They're, they're really getting it off their chest, uh, which is nice, but they um, and just, they realize but they, they're not alone in that. So really what we're doing is psychotrauma therapy. Well, for- yeah, you can look at it that way. Uh, it could be like a psychotrauma therapy, but I think more than anything, what they see is that the organization appreciates what they're doing yeah. and the sacrifice that they're making. Um, on, uh, on on keeping the families whole on the one hand and supporting their family member who's a volunteer uh, to do the mission, to really go out. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the one of the um, secrets to, to, to our success Very with much the so. volunteers. In addition, we also, uh, we also have swag that we give out. Um, usually every year there's a gift that goes out to all 6,200 volunteers, and, uh, but not for the volunteers themselves, for the family members. It could be a tent. It was a tent one year, uh, this year. And oh my God, since that tent, whenever we go camping anywhere in Israel. <laughs> we get bothered like nobody's business. We get bothered like no, yeah. <laughs> but more than that is you'll show up at a camping site and you'll look around and you'll see, I don't know, hundreds of tents there all over. And you'll see our orange tent stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> this is bright neon orange. Um but now we're also we also had now in 
be, before you get to the camping site, we're also giving out uh, bags to put on the top of your cars. Um, they're like travel bags, the big ones that you can sort of like pack stuff into. So now on the roads, we can see who the volunteers are. Just so are. we can Who's wave it? to each other and, and, and buy a popsicle or an ice cream on the, on um, the gas stations on the way. Together. <laughs> so now we get it both at the camping sites and on the cars. But in previous years, there was also um, Playmobil mats with uh, different uh, emergency vehicles, et cetera. And it's the, the idea is that we're giving something to the families can appreciate, uh, and we can appreciate them and show they're appreciated. And, and, and at the end of the day, it allows them to be more accepting of what we're doing as first responders in of itself. I think that that it's not only giving that support, but also um, knowing uh, not, the, no, not only the support to go out on the call, but knowing to give that support when you come back from that bad call. Yes. Um, and, or the and, really good call that you have to just... Yeah, either the, the good bad call ones are, or, are usually or, or more the bad one because I know I can say over the 30-some years that I've been doing this, uh, and you all know it, all of you out there know it, is that call that's with a pediatric patient or, or, or a child or, or something that really touched the heart, uh, and you go home, and it might be, I don't know, already two in the morning, and you'll just walk into the kids' room and, and go over and just you know, hug, hug and kiss your kids there. And, yeah. and you're, and, and you're my, my wife, um, uh, could, is, is really there to, you know, do my, my own psychotrauma session maybe, but more than anything is just accept, to accept, to be there, to listen and, and to, to, to say the right words in order for us to, to keep going, uh, moving forward. For sure. So you gave, you gave an example of one call that, uh, that I guess that was, that was your call where you had, your family felt it afterwards. And I think my call was, was, uh, when my neighbor was, was killed in a terror attack that I responded to. Um, that was one that was very, very difficult for me and for the whole community in general, but, uh, as well for me, when I came home, uh, my wife very much knew that there was something, something wrong that I needed to get off my chest. And, and while I didn't want to tell her exactly what had happened, um, she was there and was able to listen, uh, for the parts where I, where I was able to discuss, uh, without getting too graphic, of course. Um, and that was a form of support that it was. And then she came up with a great suggestion. She said, why don't you just write down your thoughts and, and feelings about it? And I did. And it was very, very helpful for me as well. Um, so those, those calls happen to everybody and we never need to do that. Uh, but the organization goes a, a little bit above beyond as well. And I think uh, camaraderie is as first responders takes a place, uh, in this discussion, uh, when we're talking about some of our responders who don't have a spouse. Um, either they're single or they're single parents. Uh, we have a number of responders like that. Um, and you mentioned the, you know, the kids also pick up on it and have the reactions as well. Um, I know there's one volunteer, uh, in Tel Aviv who was only able to become a responder after her, her eldest, uh, turned around 11, uh, single mom of three, which is three girls. And, uh, just while she was training, uh, her kids were giving her a little bit of a problem and saying, you know, how come we're taking so much time off? How can we always have babysitters? We want to be with you. Uh, and then a week later after that discussion, um, of course she explained what it was and how important it was and everything, but the kids didn't had difficulty accepting it. Uh, and a week after that discussion, there was an instance where they were shopping in a, in a local supermarket and uh, the 12 year old girl came running up to her mom and said, mommy, 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 there's, there's blood on the floor uh, in the middle of the supermarket. And Mother, the mother was checking out uh, in the checkout line and stopped what she was doing, pulled her card out of the line, and ran back to see what was going on, and uh, and followed the trail of blood into the, uh, I guess, the butcher area where they were preparing the meats behind the counter, uh, and saw that someone had uh, 
you know, had an accident with a knife uh, and sliced off a good chunk of their hand. Oh, um, sorry. Graphic, so graphic, graphic warning. So graphic. Graphic wow. warning. And uh, the mother basically started treating uh, the person. They, they took the person behind into the back room so that no one could see what was going on. Sort of diminish, I guess, the graphic nature of the incident. And uh, what ended up happening was that she put a tourniquet on and eventually, and essentially saved the man's life, then packed the arm in ice, as we all know, and sent them off to the hospital. And when the, the whole incident was finished, the daughter, who wasn't able to see the ending, but sort of peeked over the window into the back room of what was going on, uh, came out with a completely different attitude for her mom. And then from that point on, considered her mom a superhero. Uh, and the mother was telling me stories on that now. Whenever her phone goes off, the daughter runs up to her and says, Mommy, Mommy, you have a call. Go. I'll take care of the other kids. Yeah. And if you're talking about the superheroes again, so and with the kids and the families, this effect is unbelievable on the community level. I mean, you know, everyone has their uh, um, their kids at school have that day of um, parents worker. You know, I don't know what it's called, where each child will bring their parent um, to introduce what they do and what they work um, uh, from their different lines of work. And uh, we always take the uh, we always take the win on on, on being the coolest parents ever, um, uh, showing up with either bringing the ambulance or the ambucycle to the school, and 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 and, the, and it just makes the kids so proud. And even that we look at that as like being that second tier of support for for, for the mission because we know that the effect on the kids of the volunteers is tremendous. Um, as, as the parents being uh, the superiors. I don't know if we told a story once, but we have a volunteer in EMT that uh, for years was a garbage truck driver. Um, and did we tell the story? No, no, we haven't told that so, story. Yeah, so he works for the, for the municipality. He's the, he's the uh, a garbage truck driver out of the house at two in the morning every night doing the rounds in the garbage truck. And he was always the most humiliated kid in school. Always the most humiliated kid at school. Your father's the garbage man. Your father's the garbage man. You can imagine what that does to uh, elementary school uh, kids. And one night um, on his rounds, he, he witnessed a terrible accident. And it took the ambulance. I don't know how long to get there, whatever. And he didn't know what to do. So he eventually just went out and became, a, he, so he saw obviously the volunteers pull up with the ambucycles and whatever. And he says, uh, he started inquiring on how he can become an EMT and start volunteering as he's out on the roads every night. And, and and a few months later, he went out, did the training, became an EMT, started volunteering, has on the garbage truck his equipment with him because, you know, doing the night shift on the garbage truck, the roads are empty and, and you witness all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and he became a volunteer and a short while after. So he finishes his shift at like seven o'clock in the morning and then he's got like another 18 hours free. So he got an ambucycle and started becoming a volunteer in the rest of the hours. And, the, and, and and then suddenly the kids at school from being the kids of the garbage man are the kids of the superhero. And it shifted 180 degrees when these kids became the most popular kids in school when their dad, who used to be the garbage man, shows up at, at Parents' Day with an ambucycle and, 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 and became a, the, the community superhero. Wasn't wasn't even ambicycle. There was there was the the call at the kids' school um, where I think he showed up and and helped a, helped a kid who's suffering yeah, an emergency. Was, um, and then, you know, that was the wow. And then, of course, the parents, uh, parents' day came in a little later and it was there as well. You spoke a little bit about uh, shared ideals and being passing on. We've, I think we've been talking about that, passing on ideals to both the children and the spouse. And I think one thing you mentioned was really uh, uh, sort of touched off an idea in my mind was what you said, being persistent. 
Um, and I think being persistent is something which uh, the continuous uh, actions which we take as first responders, always responding to the call. Whenever something happens, uh, we go out and we do, whether it's you know that, that suspicious call or suspicion of life call where we're not sure what's happening, or whether it's a CPR uh, or it might be you know an infant having strider down the street, Whatever the case may be, the fact that we're persistent with it. This connects uh, maybe to going that extra mile. Remember that we were talking about in previous... Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and the fact that we're persistent with it always, it, it shares something with children. It means no matter what happens, you know, this is an ideal which we hold dear. Um, and that's something which gets passed on. It's passed on through our actions. Uh, we don't even have to tell that to our children. Like Then, then they start... Uh, coming to us and saying, "Hey, they care. They yeah, care. Absolutely. They become more aware." I was just at the shopping mall the other day with my uh, with my kids. We went uh, after school. We just went out to take care of some shopping, buying kids shoes and stuff like that. And we're sitting in the food court, and suddenly my younger, my thirteen year old, comes running to me. He went to the bathroom. Comes running to me, Dad. There's someone lying down on the floor in the in, in the bathroom. So uh, obviously, um, I, I run over there and guy. Uh, um, well, uh, it, it, he didn't pass out. It was more like drug abuse, which required me to explain to my kid afterwards what was going on there. But nonetheless, uh, you know, dropping what you're doing, going over, treating the patient, it took whatever time it was until a yeah. few minutes until our volunteers showed up. And then with equipment, cause I had nothing on me. I was in, I was inside the shopping mall, but I got the security guard to bring over the first aid kit and, and whatever from the, from the shopping mall. But it really, it really brings, uh, our, our kids to a uh, taking responsibility and not just t- looking the other way. And I think in our day and age, that's most important. And I think that also resonates a lot with, with what our vo- how our volunteers operate in the field is, is not looking the other way and, and going that extra mile and doing that extra um, response that is not necessarily typical EMS response. Um, sure. and, 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 and okay, it's maybe diverting away from the subject of, of the, of the second circle of, of a family, but it really uh, would, you know, it, it's worth maybe sharing a story or two about how our volunteers go that extra mile because they care as we are community-based. For sure. And we had a couple of those, those stories happen every single day. Um, we had two just yesterday uh, in Tel Aviv. Um, I don't know if we time for both, but we'll definitely, I'll start with one. Uh, there was a woman who who responded to a regular EMS call, and it was an EMS call for a person who was, was uh, fainted. Um, and she, when she arrived, the person was conscious, and it just said, told, the, uh, told her that she, he didn't want to go back to the hospital because he had fainted earlier in the day, uh, early in the morning, and he had just gotten out of the emergency room. And on the way back home, uh, he fainted again. And he refused to go back to the emergency room. So when the ambulance came, uh, he told the ambulance the same story. The ambulance said, okay, you know, you refuse, you refuse treatment, we're, we're leaving. And what ended up happening was that she stayed with him and said, even though you're refusing treatment, you're not terribly well. I'd like to stay with you and sort of see what, what I can do to help you. Um, and she ended up getting him a chair to sit down and picked him up off the floor, got him in a chair. Uh, and... You know, a, a minute later, um, the guy passed out again. And when he woke up uh, the third time for that day, um, she checked and and his pupils were disaligned. He wasn't able to hold up one of his arms. And she was thinking this was in the direction of a stroke. Um, so no matter what, I'm going to get him back to the emergency room. But the ambulance was gone. So she ended up with uh, another person, a bystander who had seen what had happened. Uh, she ended up commandeering a wheelchair um, and rolled the uh, the person down the block uh, from outside the mall where he had collapsed to 
the emergency room in Ichalav Hospital in Tel Aviv. Uh, and they brought him into the emergency room and, and they ended up uh, doing a procedure to uh, help alleviate the TIA that he was in the middle of experiencing uh, and saved his life. Um, and it was all because she went a little bit above and beyond. Didn't say, oh, you don't want treatment, I'm leaving. Um, but she yeah, stayed but with so, them. Sometimes it's not only life of people. I mean, we all know the calls of, uh, you know, the fire that the people were rescued and then they pull out the dogs, the cats, uh, the pets from the house, which then are treated by our volunteers. And actually, we just had a uh, a call also, Raphael, maybe yeah. over the weekend. I think also you- the weekend in Tel Aviv, there was another uh, volunteer that they went to a suspicion of life call where the uh, neighbors of an 80-year-old man were uh, unsure of his well-being. Uh, and he called the emergency. He was not answering the door. He wasn't answering or, his door for two days. Um, they kept trying to knock and check on him. And that's one of the things that's really nice here is that neighbors often check on on some of the elderly who are living next to them to sort of see if they're okay. And especially over the weekend, uh, sometimes to bring them food. So they knocked on his door a couple times. Uh, Thursday, Friday, he wasn't answering. Saturday morning, they finally called emergency services and said, we're worried about him. Uh, the police showed up. The fire department showed up. And of course, our volunteers as well. Uh, and... The fire department, they were going to decide whether to break into the house or not. They wanted to try and find out more information to see if the person might be home. Uh, They looked in the window and they saw a very big pit bull sitting on the couch. Um, So they assumed that the person, because his dog was home, that he would be home as well. So they broke into the door. Of course, the dog starts barking. And both the police and the fire department refused to go into the apartment because it's... Well, it was a huge pit bull. (laughs) It was a 60-kilogram pit bull. Uh, And... One of our responders who arrived there, his profession is that he's a dog walker, um, and he was one of the first responders on the scene. So he walked into the apartment and started taking care of the dog, uh, and he noticed when he was in the apartment that the dog had very clearly not been out of the house for the last couple of days, that the dog had uh, done his business in the living room in a number of places, and there was no food in the bowl, there's no water in the bowl. Uh, so the first thing he did was he fed the dog and he gave the dog water, and then he took the dog out of the apartment to allow the firefighters and the police to go into the house and investigate. And they found that the gentleman was not home. Uh, under a later investigation, it was found that the person had been taken to the hospital three days earlier, uh, and that his children were not uh, didn't have the mindset to take care of the dog. Um, but because this uh, this concerned neighbor uh, got involved, uh, thankfully the dog was then cared for until the person comes back from the hospital. So it's definitely providing care for everyone around. And I think we started the episode by talking about you know, first-tier, second-tier care with the family members of the EMS responders. Now we're talking about going the extra mile. Uh, I it think really it- connects back to the community factor, and the community starts with our own families and continues around us. It's not only about that eight-hour shift of getting on the rig, running the calls, and coming back home. It really is a more holistic uh, perspective of, of, of EMS. Right. And it's talking about shared ideals that we have and that we're able to pass on both to our children, our families, and to our community at large, uh, whether it's our neighbors, uh, whether it's fellow first responders encouraging one another, looking out for one another uh, as well to see if our, our first responders need help uh, in their own mind, which then, of course, takes us back to all the uh, psychotrauma and psychological first aid discussions that we've had in the past. Um, but it's something which which I think really embodies what we try to do as as EMS professionals here and around the world is is keep our eyes open, uh, look for for the ideas of, of caring for your community members, maybe going a little bit beyond uh, the the calls that you have on your shift, and also keeping in mind that you know the stuff that we take home with us affects more than just us. 
it's it, it's definitely it's like um I don't know I watch all these uh um court uh, Netflix series and stuff like that and that is the gunshot residue that's left on someone that's a that's a that's shot a gun so our gunshot residue is is the is what we take home from the calls um and the mental burden the emotional burden and without that support and without having that support we could not continue doing what we're doing and I think it's it, it's important for everyone in all of EMS um, or anyone getting into EMS to understand that you need that circle of support otherwise you will not survive this field and, right. and that's why we we invest in that so and, much and whether it's family or, or children or spouses for those of you who have them uh, or whether it's a circle of friends that's close to you uh, maybe roommates if that's the case uh, or even just your peers uh, together with you on shift, it's good and important for you to be able to open up and uh, alleviate some of the pressure and tension that you're feeling um, before you even get home and bring that to uh, your first circle because it's not something we necessarily want. And also, just to have that drop good, on them. just to have that good feeling, that good feeling that that someone gets it, that gets what you're doing, and and supports it, and then eventually might even join you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> not all of us are as lucky as you do. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. That's all the time we have today. Thank you guys very much. And we'll we'll hope to get you again next time. Yeah.